Stark Law compliance begins with having the right people at the table and being motivated for the right business or medical need. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. And today we're going to go through an example, a hypothetical, uh, that will show how to implement Stark compliance in the C-suite. And the title of this episode is Let's Make a Deal, Stark Law Compliance in the C-Suite. And this is an example that probably has occurred multiple times in healthcare organizations. And we're going to have our hypothetical orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Moore. And Dr. Moore is part of an orthopedic medical group and he is seeking a medical director position at a hospital, and he meets with the chief medical officer for the hospital and asks to obtain a medical directorship at $1,000 per hour for $25,000 per month, so that equates to $300,000 per year. So Dr. Moore and the chief medical officer have this conversation, and now we have three C-suites, C-suite one, two, and three, and I'm going to open the doors for each of the C-suites, and we're going to see how this plays out in three separate healthcare organizations regarding the same facts and circumstances, but how some organizations will approach this differently. And here we're going to focus on who is at the table, what is being said, and then how they negotiate the arrangement for Stark Law compliance. So first up is C-suite door number one. And as we open door number one, we see a conference table, and the conference table is surrounded with the following individuals. You have Dr. Moore, the head of this orthopedic group who desires to have the medical directorship. You have the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, the chief medical officer, and the chief operating officer. And the physician opens the meeting and basically says that he called this meeting with all of the C-suiters and says that uh, he notes that not only he, but also the members of his orthopedic group are high referral sources for the hospital. But because of various circumstances, the orthopedic medical group has fallen on hard times and they need to have a little bit of extra revenue. And Dr. Moore reminds all of the C-suiters that this group is a loyal physician group to the hospital and is asking the hospital for a little bit of assistance. Well, the chief financial officer 
looks at the finances coming from the orthopedic service line and notes that the orthopedic service line, which is the recipient of basically referrals coming from this sole orthopedic medical group, generates about $50 million for the hospital. So it's a large sum of money for this service line. And the CEO indicates that they will do whatever is needed to keep Dr. Moore and the group happy. Uh, The chief operating officer notes that uh, with low hours per month, and he does not believe that there needs to be any tracking of this medical directorship. So the chief operating officer notes that the number of hours here are fairly low, only 25 hours per month, so the total of $25,000 per month. He does not see any need to track the hours because the hospital will trust Dr. Moore and the physicians that the physician group will expend the necessary 25 hours per month. And the chief medical officer just emphasizes that everyone loves Dr. Moore and the orthopedic medical group and notes that Dr. Moore never sleeps. I've heard that many a times. And the CEO tries to wrap up the meeting and says to Dr. Moore that the hospital will do whatever that's going to make them happy, and he will have his lawyers, quote, paper the deal. So that's C-suite door number one. So let's move on to C-suite door number two. In door number two, we have the same players except for Dr. Moore is not present. We have the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, the chief medical officer, and the chief operating officer. And the chief medical officer starts the meeting by indicating that he had a conversation with Dr. Moore and indicated that Dr. Moore represented that the orthopedic medical group is struggling financially, that they need some extra revenue. The chief medical officer emphasizes to the other C-suiters that the group and Dr. Moore has been very loyal as a group, and the chief operating officer, consistent with C-suite door number one, that the orthopedic service line brings in about $50 million of revenue to the hospital. The chief operating officer contemplates the arrangement and expresses that the hospital needs orthopedic collaboration and collaboration specifically on cost control, medical oversight, training, and policy and procedure development. And the chief operating officer concludes at the meeting that he believes that it would take this orthopedic group about 25 hours a month in order to perform these necessary services. And besides, there's going to be closer collaboration if there's a contractual financial relationship between this orthopedic group and the hospital. The chief medical officer, consistent with his conversation with Dr. Moore, proposes a $1,000 per hour, but notes that he's talked with the compliance officer previously uh, based upon medical directorships, and the compliance officer previously has noted that some tracking of the hours is probably a good practice. So he says, yeah, we probably should have Dr. Moore or the group track these hours. And the chief medical officer states that he believes that the $1,000 to be fair market value. And he basically says that he believes that the hospital is protected if the written contract 
specifically states that the arrangement is fair market value. So the chief executive officer asked the chief medical officer to negotiate the deal with Dr. Moore, then after his discussions with Dr. Moore, to ask their attorney to paper the deal. But the CEO emphasized that there should be a specific representation and warranty in the arrangement that both parties believe that the arrangement is commercially reasonable and fair market value. He said that he learned that from the uh, his attorneys. And also, he said, put in the contract that this arrangement was determined through arm's length negotiations, because the, the chief executive officer said he also learned that from his legal counsel, that as long as the arrangement was determined based upon arm's length negotiations, such should result in a fair market value transaction. So that is C-suite door number two. So now let's move on to C-suite door number three. As we open up the door, we see the same four individuals, the chief executive officer, chief financial officer, chief medical officer, and chief operating officer. But in addition to those C-suiteers, we have the legal general counsel for the hospital, as well as the chief compliance officer. So now we have representation from legal and compliance. And so the same facts were developed that the chief medical officer had a conversation with Dr. Moore. Dr. Moore represented that the group was struggling financially and they needed some additional revenue. Uh, The CMO said that the orthopedic group is a loyal group to the hospital. Uh, The CFO notes that the orthopedic service line brings in $50 million to the hospital. And the chief operating officer does indicate at this meeting that some collaboration and some services are needed from the administrative perspective for the orthopedic service line, including cost control, medical oversight, training, uh, policy and procedure development. The chief medical officer then tells the entire group that Dr. Moore stated that he and the group would like to have $1,000 per hour for the performance of these medical director services. The general counsel states that the chief operating officer should document the commercial reasonableness for the services that he expressed, as well as documentation justifying the performance of 25 hours, emphasizing that this will show the commercial reasonableness of the arrangement from a legal perspective. The chief compliance officer kind of grimaces at the $1,000 an hour, and he pulls out some benchmark data and relays to the group that the benchmark data looks like for the specialty of orthopedics, that the 50th percentile hourly rate is about $325 per hour, and the hourly rate at the 75th percentile is $400 per hour. So the chief compliance officer expresses his concern for the $1,000 per hour that's being requested by Dr. Moore and his group. So the chief executive officer in door number three asks the CMO to negotiate with Dr. Moore and to try to stay at or below $400 per hour. And also the CEO emphasizes to the CMO not to make any binding commitment on behalf of the hospital until the CMO brings back the status of the negotiations and the terms to the same group for further Uh, deliberation and determination as to whether or not to move forward and with respect to what requirements as they move forward. So in these three examples, and let's make a deal, 
the first C-suite door number one, basically you see an organization that is caving into the request of the physician who is asking for the additional compensation for medical director services. And primarily the negotiations are controlled by the physical presence of the physician at the meeting. So it basically says that, you know, everybody loves this physician group and there are, the hospitals is out to make the physician happy. And uh, sometimes some people from the Department of Justice will say, well, a happy physician could be a physician that you're compensating for their referrals if money talks. So therefore, there's some issues with respect to C-suite door number one. Let's turn to C-suite door number two. Here we see that Dr. Moore is not present at these deliberations, have some of the same discussions that were occurring in C-suite door number one, except in this case that you're asking for the, the deal to be papered by legal counsel. So there appears to be some barrier between the execution of the deal and the attorney, but the attorney is not sitting at the table, nor is the compliance officer sitting at the table to have real-time discussions regarding the terms and conditions of the deal for Stark Law compliance. So that's C-suite door number two. Turning to C-suite door number three, we see now that the legal counsel and the compliance officer are involved at the inception of the transaction. From a process perspective, Having legal counsel and the compliance officer at the commencement or the negotiations of the transaction makes sense. So this way that those two officers, the legal counsel and the compliance officer, can assist the organization with Stark Law compliance. So it's not only just making sure that the deal is, quote, papered, but also that the arrangement is fair market value and is commercially reasonable. And note that we've got two commercially reasonable issues going on here that legal counsel is concerned about. One is the type of services that Dr. Moore and the physicians in the orthopedic group are going to be performing. Uh, I always say, are these services services that a physician needs to, to perform, or so, can somebody else who is not a physician, like an administrator, perform those services? But the legal counsel is also concerned about the extent of the time commitment that the physician will need in order to, to perform those services. So making sure that not only the services are commercially reasonable, but the number of hours for which the hospital is committing is commercially reasonable, as well as in door number three, we have the compliance officer being concerned about the fair market value nature of the compensation proposed and not really taking the physician at the physician's request, but trying to back up that request through uh, benchmark data. And I've discussed before in previous episodes that you can justify compensation not only with benchmark data, but also with some subjective or business justification factors. So you can listen to those episodes about some of the business justification factors that can go into determining whether the compensation rate is fair market value. I guess the other thing to kind of throw in here is most likely this physician and physician group would be independent contractors. So reliance on the benchmark data that the compliance officer is asserting could be uh, actually added to 
because this is an independent contractor arrangement. So an, in an independent contractor arrangement, uh, you could possibly add you know, somewhere between 10 and 25 percent uh, to those hourly rates in order to justify the independent contractor nature of the arrangement where the physicians would need to provide their own insurance uh, and other items uh, like uh, benefits uh, for the performance of those services. So obviously, I would believe that the better arrangement is door number three, where you actually have legal counsel and the compliance officer at the table assisting the C-suiters in negotiating a good deal that is stark law compliant. And many times I receive calls from general counsel as well as compliance officers that are trying to either, quote, paper the deal or looking at the deal after the deal has already been entered into to determine whether or not the terms and conditions are fair market value and meet the other requirements under the Stark Law. So you would rather be on the front end of these arrangements than trying to clean up the deal on the back end after the deal has already been executed and implemented uh, by the C-suite. So that now brings me to the three Captain Integrity punch points in our Let's Make a Deal Stark Law Compliance in the C-Suite. So Captain Integrity punch point number one is legal and compliance should be part of the deal-making process. Like I indicated in door number three, having them at the table is a best practice. Captain Integrity punch point number two is legal counsels should not just, quote, paper the deal. That's a recipe for disaster. So the legal counsel needs to be involved and also needs to express concern if the legal counsel believes that the arrangement is not complying fully with all the requirements of an applicable Stark Law exception. And for those of you that are interested in the Stark Law exception for this arrangement, it would either be the fair market value exception or the personal service arrangements exception under the Stark Law. And Captain Integrity punch point number three is carefully consider what is motivating the deal. Again, here I am focusing on the commercially reasonable aspect of the Stark Law exceptions. So does the deal meet a business or medical need of the organization, or is the primary motivating factor a financial need or interest of the physician? If the primary interest is to get money into the physician's pockets, then that could call into question whether or not the arrangement is commercially reasonable. So again, to recap, the three Captain Integrity Punch points for today's episode is legal and compliance should be part of the deal-making process. Number two, legal counsel should not just paper the deal, need to consider all components of a Stark Law exception. And number three, carefully consider the motivating factor for the deal. Is it the financial need of the physician, or is there truly a business or medical need of the organization in order to ensure that the arrangement is commercially reasonable? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. 
I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.